And they're like, you know, we're doing this Kickstarter and it's not really working. It's like, okay, well maybe instead of coming to a marketing agency asking them to maybe start thinking about maybe no one wants your product. Or maybe you need to change something to get them to want the product. This is something that we talk about a lot with clients is like, you know, in the digital marketing world, there's this huge, you know, push with ROAS and how do you get a better return on ad spend? From my experience, the way you get better return on ad spend is you make better creative, you improve your product. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's show. This is part two of our latest interview with my friend Jay Davis, a CEO of Creatively, CEO of PillowCube, all around book extraordinaire, one of my favorite people to, to discuss my book addiction with. If you missed part one, uh, please go back and hear some of his previous successes growing companies from, from zero to millions in, in just a matter of months. Jay, I think maybe to start this part off, th- this next section of the interview, I want to hear more about your mindset when it comes to navigating, knowing you've got a good idea, having getting feedback from people and knowing what feedback to listen to and what feedback to ignore. Because you're usually doing stuff that people are like, oh, are you sure we shouldn't pump the brakes there, Jay? <laughs> and I yeah. want to know how you decide. I don't know if we really talked about this. I want to know your decision tree of like how you how you figure out which advice to accept and ignore. Yeah, so I think there's several aspects. I think if you're, if you're starting a new product, I, I wrote a LinkedIn post about this the other day, but if you're doing a new product, my kind of methodology for deciding whether it's something I want to pursue is the can I have it back test. So I give people, I create like 50 prototypes and I give it out to people and let them try it for a week. Now, what most people do in that situation is they call them up and say, hey, you know, can you give me feedback? What do you like? What do you not like? You know, what would you change? And, and what's really hard about that is like you're asking people to make product development decisions who have no training in product development. And so they're going to give you a bunch of dumb ideas bluntly. Like they're going to be like, oh, I do this and I would change this. And, and it's like, okay, well that, you know, I've had people who are like, you know, I love traveling with it, but he, you know, I wish there was a strap that you could strap it to stuff and you know, this hole and it was foldable in these 50 ways. And I was like, you know, that's a product that you would buy, but probably no one else would buy. And so I can't make a product specific for you. If you really want that, go hire someone to make you that specific pillow that like, you know, it's, you know, someone who travels five days a week and it's like, yeah, you're going to have different requirements than most. So I do the, the, can I have it back test, right? Just give it to people, let them use it for a week or two. And then I just call them up and or I try to do it in person and say, Hey, can I have that back? And I look at their face and I hear what, what they're kind of saying without saying it, because sometimes it's like, Oh yeah, for sure. And they're like, like here, it's actually in my car. I'm like, Oh, did it never even make it to your head? Like, I never really used it. You know? And, and then you start hearing like the reality rather than asking the question of like, what did you like? What did you not like? you kind of get the reality without doing that. But then with like the original Pillicue prototype, it was like, oh, I, I don't know where it is. I think I lost it. I'll just, yeah, sorry. It was like, well, how did you lose it? 
And it was like, well, you know, like my wife really likes it. Is there any way I can keep it? And I was like, I thought you lost it. You know, and it was just funny to see that it was like, <laughs> oh, you want that. And it was like, people would not give it back. Like the original prototypes never got returned. Like I asked people like, hey, can I have that back? And I was like, no. Like some people were just like, no, I like, dude, I love it. It's like the best I've ever slept. And so those are good. I mean, that's the same thing we're doing with Creatively, which is we're saying, hey, give us a bunch of product. And then we're going to give it to our employees. And if they're not using it, if none of them or, you know, our group of 50 te- beta testers or however many people, if none of them are actually using it, that's a really bad sign, especially if they're in their target group. So if it's like, oh, who are you going after? And it's like, well, we have people in that group. And sometimes it's like, hey, we just might not be in your group. You might you might be just a different audience. But that's kind of what I use and, and try and see what the reaction is. Because what I noticed is really great products. People are like, oh, yeah, once I start wearing those, you know, that's all I could wear. There's a company we worked with a couple of years ago called Kizik. And they're these like shoes that you step in. So you don't have to tie them. They're really easy. And it was interesting that when we we first started talking to them, I met all these people who were like, oh, I have a pair of Kizik. Like, that's all I wear now. And so that was a really good sign that it was like, oh, you know, people, once they start using them, they love them. Now there's other things that, you know, they needed to fix and change. And they, there's actually the CMO who was at Purple went there and has done an amazing job making all these important changes that kind of took them to the next level along with like a new CEO. And they've done just a killer job at it. But that core, at the core, when people tried it originally, they really loved it. Oh, that's kind of like for a new product. The first thing I always look at is like, What's the reaction of people when they try it? Do they want to keep it? Do they ask you like, hey, can I buy that from you? Or, hey, could I keep it longer? You know, I need to try it a little bit more. Those are like good reactions. Or even if it's like, oh, I never got around to using it, but I want to use it. It's like, okay, they're sold on the original pain that we were saying we could solve, but something stopped them from using it. You know, what is that? So that's kind of what I use for for new products. That's kind of my my secret hack. I love that because it's almost like you're not listening to what they say. It's you're like listening to what they mean. You know? Yeah. My dad used to say, because I, you know, <laughs> my dad was a very practical guy <laughs> and I was usually trying to talk him into yeah. stuff, right? And, or talk him into letting me do stuff, you know? And, you know, I'm probably, oh, no, no, yeah. dad, I promise I'll do the, <laughs> I'll do those chores later. Just let me, let me leave for this thing or whatever, right? And yeah. he used to say this thing. He said, like, it was something like, I, I can't hear your words because the thunder of your actions is too loud. Is what he would say to me. Yeah. And you saying that it just kind of reminded me of that saying. Oh, I love that saying. I'm probably going to steal that because I think that that's exactly, it's exactly it. Like, too, this is where I think, you know, a lot of companies have kind of gone away from focus groups because you're asking people you're asking people to explain their emotions, which on another toddling of the, the American mind, untruth number two is trust your feelings. And they're like, you shouldn't trust your feelings because your feelings are often wrong. And, and I think that's one of the biggest challenges when you're doing product development is you're asking people stuff like, well, what did you like? What did you not like? And then you're just going to be blown about in all these directions because people are explaining to you what they interpreted as the results. And instead it's like, well, just look at their actions. Like if they won't give it back, there's something there. 
but then listen and and also another thing is like look at why are people not buying or why did people not use it so the people who were like you know because not every single person was that way some people were like oh yeah you can you know there's a couple as we as we went broader and broader and broader we started getting into people who were like oh yeah i didn't like it I was like oh, okay like what what like what happened what was the experience like and not ask, asking them to tell us what they don't like about it but like when you slept on it what what was wrong like what went and it was like well you know, when I rolled from one side to the other, I like fell off and it was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And so we didn't ask them to describe their feelings. We asked them to describe events. Like as you were using it, what, what didn't, but I think that's where it, you know, a lot of like further innovation comes from is like going in and just being really, really honest as you, as a company grows, I think that's the other benefit is start talking to people in a way that they they're not giving you jaded feedback. So, you know, like don't, don't be the founder because the founder, everyone's going to kiss your butt, but the go in and be like, Hey, we, we got hired. That's one of the benefits for creatively is like, we're this third party. And so we can say, Hey, we're considering use or we're considering working for this client. What do you think of their product? When you used it, did you like it? Did you not like it? And, and that allows you to kind of get that separation. That's really kind of the whole thing with like, can I have it back? Is like, you're just wanting to separate out. Like if you give it to your mom and then you ask her if she liked it, she's going to tell you she loved it. Even though she may have never used it, but, but trying to separate those out, those like those false signals of like, oh yeah, I loved it. Okay. Well, like, you know, tell me, like, can I have it back? And so by starting with that, and then as we go on and on, it's like, hey, when you use it, tell me, tell me about it. How often are you using it? When are you, what are you using it for? What are you not using it for? And so I think that's kind of the key that we try and look at is really understanding like what works and what doesn't. And then also I try and take this longer approach of like, you know, is it, is it that we're trying to get them to like adopt a new habit and how hard is that habit to adopt? So like with pillow cube, honestly, the original cube, I think we, you know, we have a certain portion of customers who still to this day are like that falling off the cliff. You know, when I went to roll and fell off the cliff, that really sucked for a week. But after I slept on it for a couple of weeks, cause I just wanted to, I wanted to see if it would, you know, if, if over time it get better. I actually trained myself to stop rolling over it. But for us, that was a really big, like, not everyone's going to do that. And so we have to develop another option. Well, and can you tell people about, as a result, you also have the extra ride one for the, for those people who do want to roll? Yeah, it was just like, it was like, okay, for some people that's going to work, but I don't think most people are going to train themselves. They're not, that, that's too big of a, like, behavioral change to adopt. Yeah. You know, we had Bob Mesta on the show. I don't know if you know him. He's the guy who, he, he's done the most work taking Edward Deming's thoughts and turning it into the jobs to be done framework that Clayton Christensen made so oh, popular. Yeah. And they worked together on those stuff, those things together for years. And yeah. he's got this book called Demand Side Sales 101. And it's like breaking down, if you, if you have salespeople instead of marketing, it's breaking down, you go to your people who bought it in the past. And instead of asking them advice, you you ask them what happened when they bought yeah. it and what was going on in their life. And 
and yeah. he, and he has this like whole questioning system that's like it helps you not take their first answer and figure out yeah. what was the trigger because they oh it was a good deal and it's like yeah when you ask all these questions you find out it's like oh they'd actually been shopping for that for like six months but just lightly and then this happened this happened and so they were genuinely shopping and this was the first good deal they found when they were genuinely shopping instead of browsing you know or like anyways yeah it's fascinating the way that he can unlock basically he says the same thing says, it's kind of like people don't mean to be liars we're just not that great at analyzing ourselves and and yeah. so the answers that normally come to mind to ask aren't nearly as valuable as you would think but if you can if you can go through behaviors and and he's like you know people are terrible at predicting what they will buy like they'll tell you oh yeah I'll for sure you make that I'll for sure buy it and they actually mean it yeah and then they don't right he's like but they are great yep. at telling you about what they did and they're great at telling you about pain they're very good at those yeah. things. And he's like, so he's yeah. just got a methodology for, for going through it that I bet you would yeah, like. That's awesome. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. I think that's similar. Like when you read kind of that uh, Clay, Clayton Christensen's original thing about jobs to be done uh, and the experience Competing at McDonald's where. That one? Yeah. And and like he, I just someone just sent me this clip where he explained kind of the whole McDonald's situation and how they kind of lucked upon or not lucked upon like they create an experiment to actually find like okay rather than just you know calling people up and saying why are you buying these or why are you not they instead like went to a restaurant and looked at people's actions like okay and you know their person he says their person was there for like 20 hours or whatever and and was like t looking at tickets like okay someone just bought a milkshake at six in the morning Okay, someone else. And as they start to compile data, they start to look and see, oh, like what the most popular time is like in the morning. Why are people buying milkshakes in the morning? And so I think that it's that same idea. I think uh, one of our big, my big philosophies, you, you want to know. And I think that's, there's, you have to realize as an entrepreneur, there's a natural tendency to want to delay knowing something <laughs> where you're putting off knowing like, is this product really good? Is it? not good and so i'm always like dude just like put the gas pedal down start figuring that out find out if people buy it find out if they won't like stop there's so many resources nowadays like all you need to go to launch on a kickstarter is like a simple video and you know a working prototype that's all you need you know some copy it's so simple so stop like trying to manipulate the 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 facts you know, people come all the time and they're like, you know, we're doing this Kickstarter and it's not really working. It's like, okay, well, maybe instead of coming to a marketing agency, asking them to maybe start thinking about maybe no one wants your product. Or maybe you need to change something to get them to want the product. This is something that we talk about a lot with clients is like, you know, in the digital marketing world, there's this huge, you know, push with ROAS and how do you get a better return on ad spend? From my experience, the way you get better return on ad spend is you make better creative, you improve your product, you fix your website, you make your offering better, you 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 shift the perceived risk from the consumer to the company, where they're like, there's kind of no risk here, it's all in the company. That's how you improve your ROAS in big ways, more than like some 
hiring some ad buyer who has some trick up his sleeve. But most entrepreneurs and, and people, D2C companies nowadays, think that there's some magic trick that we can pull in the behind the curtain that's like, oh, now ROAS is amazing. It's like, that's not how it works. Like you want to sell better and at a lower marketing cost and get your acquisition cost down, make better creative. So, Do these big things that impact the business. I mean, it sounds so logical when you say it yeah. that way, right? Hey, and can you back up for just a little bit? Can you can you help people yeah. understand ROAS and how it's measured and what, what it looks like? Yeah, so ROAS is a is a measurement that we use in, in digital marketing where for every dollar you put into digital marketing, how many dollars are you getting back? So there's attributable ROAS, which is like, okay, Facebook is telling me that when I put in a dollar, I'm getting $2 back in revenue of like, I'm, I can actually track this person through the buying process. There's We often use more blended ROAS, especially early on, and when you're kind of doing just a couple marketing channels and you're just going to your website, you're not in retail, you're not on Amazon, because it's a very easy thing to track attribution to. So you, you don't have to be as worried about like, oh, is this, you know, someone saw our print ad because we're not doing print ads. So we're just focusing like we have two or three marketing channels, usually Facebook, YouTube and Instagram. And then there's our website. So we know like there's a lot less data and it makes it easier to track and we can see what's working, what's not working. So, so that's where ROAS, blended ROAS is just a, a, a measurement of like, how much money are you spending on marketing? How much money are you making? So I'm interested because I know you like tracking, but I also know that yeah. you're willing to do stuff that isn't trackable. How do you navigate, yeah. like thinking about PillowCube, you're going to spend however many millions on more advertising right now. How do you decide what has to be trackable and what you're willing to do almost on faith that you know like the overall effect versus the yeah. the ones and zeros can tell you what it did. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the hardest things. I, I think where I'm willing to take faith is by looking across many examples and seeing like, hey, overall, when you make better creative, it improves results. And not just like prettier creative, but like more compelling creative. Like when you make creative that does a better job of selling based on like sound psychological selling principles, it's going to improve selling. So I'm willing to take things more on faith because it's based in like good principles. Like it's like, I know this will work because it's based on sound, but that's one of the things I think, especially for most businesses, that's why our recommendation is like, if you're starting a company, do things where it's really easy to track attribution. Kickstarter is a great one. It's like, hey, we're marketing it on here. We're selling it on here. It's easy to see like, okay, I shared it with, you know, a bunch of people. <laughs> Does anyone buy? Uh, you know, the original PillowCube Kickstarter didn't go crazy. We only did like 160 grand. And so like, it's really just going down to, but we didn't put tons of money into marketing. We just kind of just put it out there and said, will anyone buy this except for my mom? And so I think that's what I am always trying to recommend to people is like in the early days, they're very narrow in terms of like, don't launch on Amazon and your own website and in retail. It's just going to muddy everything and you're going to have no idea what's working, what's not working. And it kind of solves that classic marketing quote of like 50% of my marketing is doing 
all my results. I just don't know which 50%. And so it's like in the early days, do stuff where you know 100% what's driving your results. Then as you grow, you can test things where you can say, hey, this month we're going to do a big, big push in, in radio or, you know, connect to TV, which has better and better attribution each each year, but is not as as tight as like Facebook into a website. So, you know, maybe my next question here is, what do you, I, I look at these clients of yours that over at Creatively where they're doing like, I don't know, a million dollars a month and then they pay you guys a half million bucks or a million bucks to make a funny video and run the, <laughs> run the reattribution, all this stuff. And all of a sudden they go to like three or 4 million a month. Yeah. Their product was obviously good enough, right? Yeah. And everybody thinks like once our product is good enough, word of mouth will do it. But it's obviously not true because like, you know, a month later, six weeks later, you'll like, they'll be doing like 400% the revenue, 300% the revenue. And so my question for you is like, I mean, A, I get it. They've got to have a good enough product, right? And they've got to have your five Ds. But I guess my next question is when you think about, I'm just thinking about some of the common elements that I feel like you do, you know, your team does over and over. And I'm interested in how you think about the mix. Cause I think about like, so you got your five Ds, (laughs) the product's actually good. And then your videos are like, you're actually selling. It's not fluff. It's not awareness. Like you're selling, you're like asking people to buy. You're funny. You're always funny. And they're like legitimately funny. You are typically bringing some sort of pop culture references in. Yeah. And you're like, you're so entertaining that people will send it to their friends for fun and they don't care that it's an ad. Yeah. I'm interested in like, like you, you got to sell stuff and it's got to be fun enough for them to, to like, I, I'm interested in how you think about a balance beam there, because if it's super funny and entertaining, but doesn't sell, it wasn't worth doing it. But if it sells, but isn't funny enough for them to, to like pass around and watch un- repeatedly, you know, like how do you, how do you, how do you balance that? Yeah. I, so I think kind of my broader response to that is like, I think one of the things I've most learned from Pillow Cube is you have to be really wary of anyone who pitches you in any size business. Anytime someone pitches you a silver bullet, like there is no silver bullet. I think that's the reason why sometimes people try and do, you know, they'd see what we do and they're like, I'm going to do this in house. And it's like, cause this is going to be a silver bullet. Like going to get us tons of growth for, 10% of the price. And it's like, are you listening to yourself? Like going to get the same results with 10% of the cost? Like that doesn't usually happen. You don't usually spend less and sacrifice less and get better. Damien, one of the partners at Creatively has this great quote that we're always telling people, which is half measures get quarter results. And, and so like, I, I think that's something that kind of my broader answer is like, that's, that's what's hard about what we do is there's not, it's not like, oh, you know, what's your secret? It's like, my secret is 15 years of experience of working really, really hard and becoming an expert at something. That's the secret sauce. And most people won't do it. And so I can tell you every single thing I know, and you're gonna be like, geez, that's a lot of work. It's like, yeah, that's why it works. So I, but I think from like a balance, like, I think what I, what I would say is like, 
each of those elements has a piece that's for a purpose. Like we don't do humor because we just like being funny. We use humor because we've done tests and looked at studies and done research that like humor is the thing that opens people up more than any other emotion to learning new things and accepting new ideas. You know, we, we found a study that socially good videos, like videos that are like talking about a charity, they get shared a lot, but no one actually watches the video. And so, you know, a lot of times people are like, why don't we do something about all this, you know, this good we're doing in the world. It's very emotional and kind of heart wrenching. It's like, because honestly, most people don't want to see it. They, they want to share it and use it as a social currency of like, you know, this is an issue I care about, but it doesn't actually drive action. But if you can get someone to laugh and then ask them to do something, you know, you look at like comic relief and some of these other things, like that's often a better way of driving people to do something than just trying to, you know, give them a guilt trip or pull on their emotions. So all of those things, all those elements are very designed to like, Okay, what the first thing we're trying to do to, to a customer or to a potential customer in an ad is we're trying to hook them. We're trying to get them to listen because attention on the on the internet, there's so many things to pay attention to. There's so many things that can drop people in. So the first thing we got to do is just get them to start paying attention. Then once we have their attention and they're, you know, and we're kind of, you know, you, another aspect of it is this quid pro quo of like, hey, we got you to laugh and we entertained you. Can you just listen to me for five seconds? And then it's like, oh, I made you laugh again. Can you listen to me for 20 seconds? And there's this kind of quid pro quo aspect of it, which, I mean, this is like all like advertising stuff that Ogilvy talks about this in Ogilvy on advertising. Like there's so many of these kind of core ideas. It's just putting them together. And then, and then, you know, it's actually selling the product. I think that's where a lot of, a lot of traditional advertising fails in today's world is like, People are honestly not that opposed to being sold to. We live in, a, in an economy and in, in, in a country where like people want to buy stuff. So you just got to convince them they want it and then ask them to buy it. And so many brands, for whatever reason, are so hesitant to do that. They're just so afraid. Well, of, you know, but I want to I want to back up. asking for the sale. I think they should be because they have not. So many brands have not paid the price to do something desirable. Like they show you one more pretty yeah. car driving down a pretty mountain road. There's nothing novel. There's not, you know, like, do you mean like, can yeah. I really tell the Ford Taurus apart from the Toyota Corolla from the whatever, you know, like from the, this, what did this ad change any opinion of mine about those vehicles? N not one inch. Yeah. So they haven't, they haven't created any new emotion in me. They like, no, I'm not driving down to the dealer. You haven't, you haven't paid the price to come up with something that, that motivates me, right? That changes my mind, anything that offered me any novelty, that offered me any entertainment, that offered, right? You didn't do anything to change the perception. I still think your car is what I thought it was before I watched this ad, right? Like you, you asking me to go buy probably wasn't going to work anyway. <laughs> You know, well, and I think that's where like people talk about Tesla, like yeah, they don't need to advertise. It's like, no, they're just using a methodology of advertising that gets around paying for advertising, but they're doing advertising. Um, and that advertising. What do you think costs. every Elon Musk event is a giant ad? Yeah. Yeah. And do you really think those events are. Cost no money. Like, you know, they're flying in press. They're, but but what I think Tesla's done a great job of is they realize, like, hey, if we put in unexpected features, like ludicrous mode, 
the press are just going to naturally talk about it. It's just going to nat- naturally get shared. And so, you know, we, we look at that as well and try and leverage that of like, how do you, you know, one of the things that we're also is we're trying to get to put things in the video that get people to tag it and comment on it and tag someone that they know. So like, you know, the, five years ago, eight years ago, the big emotion or the, or the big action we were going after was a share. And now we're not going after shares. We're going after tags because when you see like, Oh, someone tagged you in this, in the comments of this video, you're like, what, wait, what, what did they say? And then you go see it and they're like, Oh, this taco joke reminded me of you. Like, you know, and, and so it's doing those things that are like, you know, people look at it and they're like, oh, the taco joke is just silly. And it's like, no, we're saying, you know, we're making a joke about something that kind of has some funny controversy around it that gets people to comment and share, like comment it. And by commenting, they are sharing, but that's something that's not, that's, that's adjusted in the industry. It used to be, you know, 10 years ago when we were first doing viral stuff, you wanted everyone to post about it because at the time sharing a video on your newsfeed was like social currency. Like people were like, dude, this guy knows about cool stuff. Nowadays, not at all. Like, you know, your friend shares a cool video and you're like, Bleh, just keep scrolling because you probably have already seen it, but that's not what Facebook is for anymore. And so it's adapting to those things, but staying true to the original principles. Love it. Okay, this is awesome. I think maybe to end, I'm going to ask my favorite question, which is what's one of the best pieces of advice you ever received? Ooh, that's a good question. I think probably, does it have to be like someone gave me the advice or does it have to be like... No, whatever. (laughs) Free for all. Could be a fortune cookie. There's a great quote by a a scholar named Hugh Nibley where he said, don't don't imitate anyone. Like be, be yourself. If you imitate people, you're just a shadow of others. But if you're yourself, like you're a new thing. And I kind of butchered that. But like, it's just such a powerful, like we talk about this at Creatively constantly that like, I don't want people changing. I had a boss early in my career who was constantly like, man, you're so innovative and creative. If you were just good at detailed stuff, you'd be unstoppable. And and the funny thing, that was the worst advice I ever got because by, if I were to try to lean into being more detail oriented, it would have ruined everything that was good about me, everything I had going for me. And what I, did instead was not listen to him instead i embraced the creativity the innovation and and brought in people in my career in my life who are good at those other things so we talk about this all the time creatively like your strength is your mirror of your weakness so lean into your strengths like if you're great at creativity just be creative focus on that and and that's what i think hugh nibley was trying to say is like don't don't imitate others. Then you're just a shadow of what they're trying to be. Just be yourself. And then you'll actually contribute in meaningful ways. So. Love it. It's a great place to end. Awesome. Okay, everybody Thanks, go, man. everybody go buy a pillow chat. cube. <laughs> yeah. July 4th sale going on right now. Love it. Okay, man. Thanks for doing awesome. this. Thanks, man. Bye everyone.